Christmas. Let's try that again. Merry Christmas. Welcome again to worship here at St. John's. My name is Tom. I'm the pastor here. What a gift and privilege it is to be able to worship those of you who are here in person, those of you who are at home. Can we praise God that we've already had the privilege of singing beautiful music led by those who have such incredible gifts? Like, can we just praise God for a minute that we get to be here this year? What a gift. If it's your first time worshiping with us, we want to especially welcome you and encourage you to fill out what we call the Connect card. You can do that digitally. You can do that in the pews there. Drop it in the offering as you exit the sanctuary here. Let us know you're here so that we can thank you for worshiping with us this year. Um, we do not pass the plate, not any Sunday. Um, instead, you can give online or in the offering box as you enter and exit as an act of worship. And so we encourage you to do that as well as you come or go. Um, a couple of real quick announcements. First of all, I know a lot of you here are here with family and friends and everybody's all dressed up. Um, what I really encourage you to stick around afterwards and take a family picture. And you're welcome to do that. There's lots of different places here. You can come right up here after the service and take one here. There's some trees and other settings that you can do that. And make sure to check in and tag St. John's because we'd love to be able to see those pictures here as well. Um, after the service, those of you joining us in person, We've got a hot cocoa bar out there. That's exciting. That's one of the reasons the kids are here. Um, be sure to grab that. Even if you've got places to go and people to see, grab that. Take it to go. It's our Christmas gift to you. This upcoming Sunday, December 26th, we will not have in-person worship services, but we will have a shortened online worship service, and we invite you to join us that way, and then we'll be back in person the following Sunday, January 2nd, to launch our new winter 2022 sermon series called Emotional Faith, and uh, I'm really excited to dive into this. Most of the time when we think of emotions, we either think about stuffing them or allowing them to control us, and God's Word shows us a different and a better way, and so I'm really excited to dive into that with you in the new year. But for right now, we have come together to sing. We've come together to worship. We've come together to open up God's word. And so I want to encourage you to do that now. Um, if you brought a Bible, open your own. But if you didn't, right in front of you, you've got one. We're going to be in the gospel of Luke chapter 2. And if you don't own a Bible, take the one in front of you home. That's a gift. Um, if you're joining us at home and you don't have a Bible, we'll send you one. Let us know. And we would love to be able to do that. Luke chapter Chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree, a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Thanks be to you, God, for your word. We pray that, that this familiar story speaks to us in fresh and new ways as we acknowledge that you are present with us just as you were present on that first Christmas. Help us to see you in our lives and in our midst and lean further into our love for you as we learn even, deep, even deeper your love for us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Chicken nuggets. Every time I say that, a couple of the kids get hungry. I can hear you guys. Chicken nuggets. These are the first two words that came out of my three-year-old son Carlos's mouth when he saw our family Christmas photo this year. Here it is. There he is. You could say, aw, those kids are cute. The bald guy back there is something else, but that's why he's out of focus. So you see that? There, there's Carlos right there. We were looking at the photo. We got it in our email, just took it back in November, and our whole family was just huddled around the computer looking at this photo and all the other photos. And my wife, Alyssa, looked at me confused when Carlos's first two words were chicken nuggets, but I knew exactly what he was talking about. Uh, the day that we took that photo was a cold, busy November afternoon. And if you're counting, you'll see we have five kids. And so getting five kids dressed and out the door and in the van and in a cooperative mood to take a family Christmas photo is roughly as complex as nuclear physics or solving supply chain issues. I'm fairly certain they're roughly the same. And on top of that, we had like 10 other commitments going on that day. The kids were tired, the baby was hungry, and everyone was fighting with each other. Even Alyssa and I were fighting in the van on the way to take that picture. And so in order to get the kids to willingly participate and smile, I did what any self-respecting father would do. I bribed them. <laughs> I said, if you guys are good and you smile when we're done, we will pick up chicken nuggets. <laughs> and they did smile, and they were good, and we got great pictures, and so I made good on my promise, and on the way home, I bought chicken nuggets for everyone. But it's funny that as we were looking at that picture, just a couple of weeks after it was taken, the rest of our family were all smiling, right? And, and we're having all these warm memories about it. But Carlos remembered the real context behind that particular moment. And so think about your own life. How many of you took family Christmas photos this year? Show of hands or in the last couple of years, right? Like, like think what words would you use to describe that moment? And so not the picture itself, but what words would you use to describe the context, the people, the memories, the moment itself? Maybe, maybe your Christmas photo this year is one with grandma, and there's three generations in that photo, children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, but there's also a word that you would use to describe, and that's cancer, because while... Nobody wants to say it. This year might be the last year that you have a chance to take a Christmas photo with Grandma. Maybe, maybe you're the one smiling in the camera, but you remember that particular moment, how stressed and anxious and worried you were. Maybe there's a broken relationship weighing every moment of your day down. Maybe it's just the weight of the world we're living in. Maybe you got a text message just before you took the picture, you looked down, something in your life blew up, and then the photographer said, cheese. 
And you remember, even though you're smiling, you remember that was the moment that you were living in. Or maybe, maybe you're more like my three-year-old, Carlos. His smile in that picture, if you look at that smile, that is the most genuine smile of all of us. You know why? Because Carlos genuinely loves chicken nuggets. And so he was really excited about that picture. Maybe, maybe for your Christmas photo, maybe it's just the two of you, and nobody knows this, but tonight or tomorrow you're going to get together with family and friends, and you're going to tell them there isn't two in the picture, there's three. You're expecting. Maybe that's your photo. Maybe this is the first Christmas you've been retired. The first time in your life that you don't have a single care in the world. Maybe you've got a vacation coming up this next year that was planned before the pandemic. And finally, it's going to actually happen. And so while your, your body might be physically present in Wisconsin, your mind has toes in the sand and a drink in hand. See, this is what we do when we look back at our family photos, isn't it? Christmas and otherwise. It's, it, it, what makes it so meaningful isn't just the picture, but it's what we look into when we look at the picture, what moment that was, the context, the people, the memories. And so join me. I want to take you on a journey. And we're going to look back at the oldest Christmas photo ever. Because today is Christmas Eve, and... Luke, our gospel writer, paints with words. This was before photography. And so he paints with words a first Christmas of sorts for Jesus on his birthday with his earthly parents. Let's take a look again at Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. And so as we begin this chapter, outlining the details around Jesus' birth, what you'll find here are the political atmosphere of the day. Specifically, who is holding the highest offices of the land? How many of us would say that the particular person who is sitting in the seat of president of the United States, or governor, or mayor, or senator, or congressperson has a real impact on your life? The same was true for the people back then. These are chicken nuggets. And not just the who, but of course the what that they're asking of those who are under their authority matters as well. And so what do we see? Caesar has issued a decree that a census be taken. They want to count the people so they can tax the people. That's the whole thing here. And so the way the process worked was every family had to take an unplanned trip back to their town of origin. And no, the government is not going to pay you for your travel expenses. And you're not even going to get to write it off on your taxes. And so that's what's going on so far. Look at verse 4. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And so now what we have are expectations that are imposed upon the people by the Roman Empire, meeting the unique circumstances of this very young couple. 
Just like the laws and the policies of our government affect different people in different ways, right? Like taxes or pandemic restrictions have real-world implications that are different for different people in different circumstances. Same thing was true then. Joseph and Mary, they call Nazareth home. And chances are Joseph has already begun to build a considerable amount of time building the home in which he and Mary would live. And yet his family of origin traces him back 70 miles away to Bethlehem. Mary is pregnant. There are no census extensions available and they cannot wait until after the baby is born so they can go to their hospital, their OBGYN, come home to their own home and nursery. And so Mary and Joseph go on foot while she's pregnant. And so let's summarize the picture that we've just painted here, that Luke has painted for us. The first Christmas, you've got a corrupt governor, burdensome public policy, unexpected travel and expenses, a baby that's about to be born. My chicken nugget story doesn't sound so bad anymore, does it? But that's what we have here. Look at verse 6. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Snap. Click. There's the picture. The firstborn, a son, wrapped in cloths, placed in a manger. A manger that maybe was sitting in a cave or in a barn somewhere because there was no room available in the inn, the hotel. But if you look a little bit closer at the Greek word for inn, it may also very well have meant not a hotel, but it might have meant a home of a relative. Because it would have been normal that when you came to town for the census, your relatives would have opened the door for you and anyone else who needed a place to stay. And so I think about this and I go, okay, I don't know which scenario is worse. There being no room in a hotel or you going to your own flesh and blood and them telling you while you're pregnant, there's no room for you here either. But in any case, that's the picture. A manger in an overcrowded barn or an inn, or a home, a place so full of people that there's literally no place left for them to stay except for where the animals go, all in the middle of a town they don't live in, a mother and father who aren't just weary from childbirth, but also from travel and unexpected expenses and an unknown future. Those are all the chicken nuggets that you don't see on the pretty little mantle that you have in your house with the nativity scene or outside the church or out in your yard. It's the same thing that when you get the Christmas photos, those cards that people send you, right? right? We got a whole bunch of them on our wall. You've got all of those pictures, but you don't know what's really going on in that context, do you? You don't know what's going on behind the smiles. And that brings me to be reminded of the true meaning of Christmas. As I look at this picture that Luke paints us, what the Gospel of Luke really describes, this moment, this context, these people, these memories, this mess, knowing the story actually makes the first Christmas picture even more hope-filled than anything we could ever think up ourselves. And the reason why is because Jesus didn't wait to come. 
Jesus didn't wait. He didn't wait for Mary and Joseph to have it all figured out. He didn't wait for the census to be over. He didn't wait for a room to become available. He didn't even wait for a proper bed for the baby to be laid into sleep. He didn't wait for every question to be answered. He didn't wait for every challenge to be overcome. Jesus came in the midst of all of that. Just like my family Christmas picture, behind every one of those smiles are cold children, weary parents, and a three-year-old who between every single shot, and I'm not even exaggerating, said, are we getting chicken nuggets yet? Because that's all he could think about. But friends, this is Christmas. That's Christmas. It's not what we think it is. It's not what we want it to be. It's not what the movies say it is. And precisely because those are the circumstances through which God in his sovereignty chose to enter the world as an infant, because that's the truth of the first Christmas, you and I can know that we don't have to have our lives all figured out for him to be born in us either. And isn't that a relief? Because I don't know about you, but I don't have it all figured out. 2,000 years ago, Jesus didn't choose a picturesque place or time in history. We, we've got these lovely nativities on our mantles and in our churches, but the one that Jesus was born into was a, a small village in the Middle East to two newlywed parents who got pregnant before they were married, a young family who had become refugees, fleeing to Egypt when King Herod would order every boy under two years of age to be killed, and I think to myself, man, like, like, wouldn't God want to choose before he comes himself a more tranquil and calm and peaceful moment in history to come into? He could have come into any place or time. Why wouldn't he choose a beach in Hawaii, right? <laughs> During a good economy when gas is a dollar and a half a gallon, there's no world wars or global pandemics. Like, that would make sense to me. But he doesn't. Jesus doesn't come that way. And the reason he doesn't is because Jesus doesn't wait for the perfect moment in your life or mine either. And so I want you to think back on, I asked those of you who took a Christmas photo, think back on your Christmas photo. Actually, better yet, here's, here's what I want you to do. Everybody carries a cell phone these days. I want you to take out your cell phone. Okay, I want you to take it out. Everybody take it out. And, and I want you to open up, I want you to open up the camera app and I want you to turn it on selfie mode. And on the count of three, I want you to say chicken nuggets. And I want you to smile. And I want you to take a selfie of yourself or maybe the whole family, if that's who's with you. Get them all in there. On the count of three, say chicken nuggets. One, two, three. Chicken nuggets. All right? Now I want you to open up that picture. And I don't want you to look at me. I want you to look at your picture. If you're at home, you should be doing this too. Look down at that picture that you just took. Because this picture right here, this is your live nativity this year. This is your live nativity. Here's what I mean. This is where Jesus wants to be born into this year. He wants to be born into this moment, this context, these people, this particular memory. And I'm telling you, he is not going to wait for the lighting to be right. I know there's two of you that are like, no, I still got to take you. You're not even listening to me because you didn't get the right angle, right? He's not going to wait for that. 
He's not going to wait for your hair to be done right. He's not going to wait for everything to be perfect. This is the moment in which his promise to come into lives. The promise of Christmas is Emmanuel, which means God, with, God is with us. And his presence brings peace. And who here needs peace this year? Maybe more than ever before. It's why he came. It's why he came to fulfill the reason he was born in the manger to begin with 2,000 years ago. To save the world from the very thing that robs us of our peace to begin with. The root that has driven us apart from each other and apart from God since the very beginning of time. This thing we call sin. And the only way in which God could save us from sin was not to wait until we get it right because no one's ever gotten it right. Chances are you're not going to break that trend either. And so he came to be with us. He literally came to live and show us how we are to live, to die our death and to rise to new and everlasting life, all so that his presence and his peace could be born in everyone for all of eternity. And the question I want to ask you is if Jesus can do all of that from such humble beginnings, the real picture of the Christmas story that Luke shows us, this messy photo in a barn or an overcrowded home of relatives that don't have a place for you to stay, if that's where this story begins, ask yourself when you look at your selfie, what might God might be able to do in your life? That begins in this moment right now. These people, this memory, this context. Because that's the gift that Jesus came to bring. Paul says in Romans 5, Jesus arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for this sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. This is what God does. And if you trace the life of this child that was born and placed in a manger as he grows up to become a man, what you will find as you flip through the pages of this word is you will find more pictures. You will find pictures of the blind that are now photos of those who can see. You will find pictures of the ones who are least, who have now become great. You will find photo after photo of the one who had nothing and met Jesus and found that in him they have everything. You will find pictures of those who have made mistakes, who in Christ have been forgiven and now... Your living nativity, take it out with me again, take a look at it. Your living nativity, your Christmas selfie has become part of the family photo album of God. Because this picture is one that we're all going to be looking at as brothers and sisters in Christ. 10,000 years from today, flipping through the pictures, looking at that and saying, I remember that day, I was dead. And then I heard the promise of God, and now I am alive. And because of him, I will be forevermore. Thanks be to God. Merry Christmas. Let's join together as we pray. Lord Jesus, thank you.
I just pray that as, as we think about that photo that we just took, that each and every one of us would consider what are the chicken nuggets in this picture? What are the things that are going on behind the smiles, under the surface? What are the worries? What are the pains? What are the hurts? What are the unknowns that we're facing in this life? What are the joys? Where are we? Because the way in which you came into this world reminds us that you're not waiting for us to get it all right to be born into our lives any more than you were waiting for the conditions to be the way in which we would think should be right to come into the world 2,000 years ago. And yet we know in your sovereignty that it was the perfect time. And I believe that for each and every person who is worshiping here in this place or in any place, that this is the perfect time for you to be born in our lives as well. And not just born, but to be reborn again and again and again and again. This is our live nativity. This is the moment, the people, the context, the memory in which you desire to show yourself just like you did 2,000 years ago as a baby in a manger. So God, would you help us to be open to the invitation? Would, would you give us the gift of faith to invite you in? And would you remind us of your presence as you have given us this meal. As we open up our eyes, we are reminded that 30-some years after Jesus was laid in a manger, he would be prepared to be hung on a cross. And the night that he was betrayed, he sat with the disciples in an upper room, his closest friends. It was a pretty messy meal. They would desert him. One would turn him in. Another would say that he doesn't even know him. And yet with each and every one, Jesus would take bread and he broke it and he said to them, and he says to you, take and eat, this is my body broken for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you eat this, remember me. After the supper, Jesus took the cup of blessing, gave thanks and gave it for all to drink and said, take and drink this cup it's the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink this, remember me. For as often as we eat this bread and as often as we drink from this cup, we remember that through the presence of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus came and he died and he rose again, the invitation is that he is with you and with me and with all who believe and call upon his name. And if you believe that to be true, whether this is the first moment you're believing it or you are being renewed in a promise you've known to be true your entire life, every day we're called to surrender to the gift again. And we're called to do the only thing we can do when we are extended a gift, and that is to open up our hands. And so I encourage you to open them up now as a sign of surrender as we together pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. At this time, if you're with us and you haven't already, take out the bread at home, take out whatever you have, take and eat the body of Christ broken for you. Take and drink the blood of Christ shed for you. And now may the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you in his strength, remind you of his presence, just as we are about to be reminded of his presence in the lights. This can